Nehemiah Perikhe Part 2. On the second half of the Perik, what we see is as they're reading in the Sefer Torah, they find something uh, which apparently they haven't been doing all along, and that is the mitzvah of Sukkot. And in these Pesukim, there's two very glaring problems that we're going to see. Uh, the first is is that it pasuk yedalad as it says it says when tzeu katul b'torah asher tivad unai b'an Moshe sheishu b'nei Yisrael b'sukot they found it written in the Torah that Hashem commanded b'nei Yisrael to sit in sukot. Uh, the obvious implication being that they this wasn't something they knew about. They were reading the Torah all of a sudden they come across yeah go sit in the sukkah and they're all like oh I, I guess we should do that. Uh, so this was something that apparently B'nai Israel weren't aware of. Uh, so this is actually addressed in the Kuzari of Rabbi Yehuda Halavi, who one of the claims of the Kuzar king is bringing this pasuk and saying, oh, look from this pasuk, we can see that the chain of tradition wasn't from Moshe. It got broken. They found it at a later point um, and, and all of a sudden reinstituted the Mitzvah Sukkot. Of course, it's not just the king of Kuzar and the Kuzari that had uh, such claims. Uh, modern biblical critics and others as well also uh, use this pasuk to hold similar claims. Uh, in the Kuzari, the Bihuda Halavi, uh, or the rabbi in the Kuzari, uh, responds to the Kuzar. And essentially, he, he says if you look at the people uh, who were in Yerushalayim at the time, who, if we understand them being. Uh, several decades after Zerubbabel in the time of Zerah Nechamiah were people in Yerushalayim without rabbinical leadership. Uh, there was no strong community. There wasn't a large community there. Only a small number only went up. Until this year, there were no walls to the city. They were constantly under threat of enemies. Uh, as we'll see in the later Perakim of Nechamiah, they were intermarrying uh, amongst the, the Jews, the non-Jews that were in Israel at the time. So it definitely does seem plausible that at the very least a portion of the population uh, would not have been continuously do, performing the mitzvah of Sukkot in Israel at the time. Uh, however, even more puzzling is later in the Perak, towards the end, in Pasuk Yudzayin, uh, it says, uh, that from the time of Yehoshua ben Nun until now, Ben Israel did not sit in Sukkot on the time of Sukkot. Uh, now, obviously, this is a larger issue because from the time of Yehoshua ben Nun, we're, we're dealing with the time of the Shoftim, uh, the time of David and Shlomo, the times of the various Nevi'im and righteous kings, Yoshiyahu, Yechizkiyahu, that came after them. So to say that, that Sukkot was not celebrated um, at all, that B'nai Shem were not sitting in Sukkot from the time of Yeshua ben Nun, is puzzling to say the least. Uh, the Parshanin gives several different explanations. We'll start with the two that the Talmud gives. The Talmud in Anachim ties in our Pasuk to a Machloket, of whether or not this machloket is referring to when to when Bnei Israel went into Eretz Israel in the time of Yehoshua originally and sanctified the land. Uh, and there's a machloket in the Talmud whether or not that sanctification that happened is permanent or a non-permanent sanctification. Uh, what the difference would be if it's a non-permanent sanctification. It would mean that when Bnei Israel were exiled and now returning in the time of Israel and Hamyan, rebuilding the temple, uh, a re-sanctification of the land needs to happen. Uh, so the Tammuz explanation are as follows. If you hold that the land was not sanctified permanently in the time of Yeshua, 
that the land needed a resanctification, and that's what this pasuk is referring to. The law assuming may Yeshua ben Nun, the resanctification of the land did not happen from the time of Yeshua ben Nun. Uh, obviously, from the pshat of the pasuk, this is difficult. Malbim comments. And he ties it in to the way that the people were doing mitzvah of sukkah. And essentially, his reasoning is as follows. When Ezra re-sanctified the land, he was also granted jurisdiction about certain laws applying to the land. And one of those laws was the mitzvah of sukkah. And specifically, the law that Ezra dealt with was whether or not a sukkah can be built in Rishut HaRabim or in a public domain or can only be built in private property. In the past, it was only been able to be built in private property. When Ezra re-sanctified the land, he allowed the sukkah to be built in public property as well. Uh, so essentially, what Malbim is trying to do here is try to fit in the idea of the re-sanctification of the land tied into Sukkot and help make it fit into the Pshat of the Pasuk a bit better. Uh, the second opinion of the Talmud, according to the one who says that Yehoshua's sanctification of the land was permanent, um, essentially they need to find another way of explaining the Pasuk. And the way they explain this Pasuk is by referring to something else that hasn't happened from the days of Yeshua ben Nun, uh, which was specifically Avodazara. So, they always had this, this Ta'ava, this desire to worship Avodazara. And here is Ra abolished the desire to worship of Udazara. How this relates to Sukkot, essentially the Sukkot are understood metaphorically uh, that Ezra created a Sukkah and protected Bnei Israel um, with his merit and with the fact that he abolished Avodazara like that had not been days since the days of Yehoshua, who was the last time when they entered Israel and this opportunity to solely worship Hashem was around. Uh, so from then until now they've been steeped in Avodazara and only now did, was Ezra able to uh, metaphorically build the Sukkah and protect them from this uh, desire and evil inclination to worship Avodazara. It adds that here Yehoshua is, is spelled Yeshua uh, without the haste symbolizing that Yeshua, Yehoshua did not fully uh, bring about the end of Avodazara and it was left for Ezra to do. Uh, these two explanations of the Talmud are certainly fascinating. Uh, the Pashtanim offer several different explanations for, for how this could be, why the Pasuk is saying it was not done since the days of Yeshua ben Nun. Uh, the Rabbi understands that throughout their history, they did not achieve a closeness to Hashem that they achieved now. So this means was performed with the closeness that they had not reached since the days of Yeshua. And we'll see this ties in really nicely to some of the Pirakim that are coming up where B'nai Israel reform a Brit with Hashem, something that's definitely not too common uh, in the Sifrei Nevi'im and really recalls us to the Torah where this, where, where this is the place where most of the Brits between B'nai Israel and Hashem are happening. Uh, Reed understands that it's mitzvah sukkah had not happened with so much happiness since the days of Yeshua. Uh, also fitting in perhaps with some of the psukim we saw earlier, where Nehemiah and the leaders were urging them to go eat with happiness. We saw some of those psukim yesterday, and so continuing now, this mitzvah sukkah done after this high of, of Rosh Hashanah was done with particular happiness that has not been done since the happiness of entering Eretz Yisrael. And finally, Mitsudot comments uh, that the B'nai Israel now changed the way they performed the Mitzvah of Sukkah. Uh, in the past, they used to perhaps make the Sukkah the primary dining, but not their sole dwelling. They would oscillate between their home and the Sukkah, and now made, they made the Sukkah their sole dwelling. I'd like to point out here, that according to the read and Rabbi, definitely at least, 
Um, I, I, the idea here of a Sukkot not being done from the days of Yeshua is powerful. I think is a bit deeper um, than just the fact that they were happy, as we saw in the Pesukim, or that they're reforming a Brit. I think it goes back to, to showing the significance of this time in the history of Bnei Israel. And perhaps the Pasuk is hinting to this as well. Uh, this is essentially Bnei Israel's re-entering into Eretz Israel. So from the times of Yeshua, there was a continuous presence, the times of Shoftim, until the building of the Beit HaMikdash. Um, so that entire period was from the original entrance of Bnei Israel into the Beit HaMikdash. And now, and now after the Galut Bavel, the first time they've been in exile since Mitzrayim, uh, now finally Bnei Israel are returning to the land. And I think that perhaps what Nehemiah is trying to stress to us here is just how powerful that moment is. Uh, B'nai Israel are finally realizing of their mission as a nation, their goal as a nation, and are finally back into the land of Eretz Israel. And again, to touch on what we spoke about in the beginning of the book, uh, it's a, this has happened a second time in history now, as we're now returning to Eretz Israel for the first time since the return of from Galupa, though. Uh, so really, quite quite amazing to think about uh, that there there was Yehoshua who led them in after Mitzrayim. There was Ezra Nehemiah who led them into Eretz Israel after Galut Bavel. And now there's us and our times. And that's really, uh, truly a beautiful thing to see. Uh, with that, let's let's begin the second half of Perechet Pasukib Gimel. And on the second day, the family heads of all the nation, the Kohanim and the Levim, gathered to Ezra the scribe, to gain understanding in the words of the Torah. Uh, here we start off with Yom HaShini. Uh, since we were talking about Rosh Hashanah earlier, this would mean the second day of the holiday. Uh, now, at that time, Rosh Hashanah was not usually uh, celebrated at two days. They were still at the time of eyewitnesses. Uh, when there was eyewitnesses, even in Eretz Israel, Rosh Hashanah was usually kept as one day, as long as the Adim came. Uh, so what is likely is that for, for whatever reason, that month there were no Adim who came on the 30th day, and thus they celebrated Rosh Hashanah for two days. Pasuk Yudalit. And they found written in the Torah that God commanded through the hands of Moshe that Bnei Israel will sit in Sukkot, on Sukkot, in the seventh month. Um, so as we mentioned in their introduction, what they, what they found here was that they're supposed to be sitting in Sukkot, Bechag, Chag is the name, Chag is literally festival in rabbinic literature and in the Tanakh it refers to the holiday of Sukkot specifically. So they saw this written and uh, as we'll see, I got very excited about performing this mitzvah. Pasuk Tedbab. V'asher yashmiu v'yaviru kol b'chol arahem u'birushamayim lemor z'u ha'har v'haviu alei zayit v'alei etz shemin v'alei hadas v'alei tamarim v'alei etzavot l'asot Sukkot kachatuv. And it was made known, and they issued a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go to the hills and bring olive leaves, and leaves of the olive tree, and leaves of the hadas, and leaves of the date trees, and leaves of the braided trees, to make Sukkot as it is written. So the people clearly were very excited. 
um, and right away they made it known, they made a proclamation uh, to go gather this equipment from the mountains to go bring down the trees. Uh, we have an interesting collection of things that they were bringing. So first, as we notice, is Aleh Hadas as well as Aleh Etzavot, which refers to the Hadas. Uh, perhaps the difference there is Aleh Hadas is referred to Hadas Rote, or a type of myrtle that's not kosher uh, for the Arbat Binim, while the, while the Aleh Etzavot is the type specific type of subspecies of myrtle that is kosher for Arbat Binim. Uh, what's interesting here is that we have two of the four Arba'at Minim mentioned. Um, and that's Ale Temarim, which is the Lab, and Ale Etzavot, which is the Hadas, as we said. What's not mentioned is the Arava and the Etzrog. Uh, this leads many Mepharshim to understand that these Pisukim are just talking about branches, and they may have happened to be branches that we do use for Arba'at Minim, that they were using for the Sukkah, for the walls of Sukkah, and not referring to the Arba'at Minim at all. Um, others understand that no, these two, the Lulav and the Hadas, were referring to the Arbat Binim. The reason why Anava and Etrog were not mentioned is simply um, as a matter of brevity and shortening the Pasuk. Pasuk Tedzain. So the nation went out and brought back and made for themselves Sukkot each man on his roof, in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, in the plaza of the water gate, and in the plaza of Gate Ephraim. We sort of get the sense here that Yerushalayim was filled and flowing with Sukkot, uh, and every, all the open spaces had, had Sukkot built up on them. Pasuk Yuzayim. Sukkot kahal hashavim and hashavim Sukkot, leishu ba Sukkot, ki lo asu mimei Yeshua binun ken b'nei Israel ad hayom ahu, ati simcha gedla me'od. And the whole congregation returning from captivity made Sukkot and they sat in Sukkot. For Bnei Israel had not done so since the days of Yeshua ben Nun until that day. And there was a great happiness. We already uh, discussed most of this Pasuk in the introduction. Uh, continuing to Pasuk Yudchet. And he read from the book of the Torah of God day by day from the first day until the last day and they performed the holiday seven days and on the eighth day at said it as prescribed. Uh, so here it describes Ben Israel actually fulfilling the full mitzvah of Sukkot and sets us up for the next pedic uh, at said it the last day of Chag Sukkot.